Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about TAT, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all TAT products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right, TAT products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. Welcome back to the second hour of the morning tailgate on a Funk Tuesday. Hello, everybody. It's Heidi Fang, Vinny Bonsignor, Clay Baker here with you on this beautiful, glorious day as we broadcast live from the Fiddley Cadillac Performance Studios here in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Hit us up on the text line, 69187, the Sam and Ash line, because you deserve what's right. And you can also hit us up on the phones at 702 702- 365-9200. That's a Realty One Group listener line. 702-365-9200. What do you guys think? We talked about it in the first hour. Uh, stemming off Brett Favre's comments, you know, about Derek Carr. And you know what? When you hear Colin Coward come on today talking that Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback from what all he did last year uh, and being beset by the lack of weapons and the team being derailed, he still was able to manage 10 wins, and he's seeing pulling a dysfunctional sideshow into the playoffs. What then could be done for this year? And we'll have Eric Moody on from ESPN Fantasy to kind of go over the the interest, you know, the intrinsic uh, numbers behind it, and we'll also get a chance to talk to Jason Fitz here on Raider Nation Radio, 702-365-9200. But uh, top 10 quarterback is is one that could be a little misleading because are we talking about top 10 fantasy? Or are we talking about top 10 in the league? Yeah, and I... You know, uh, I don't know where that line is, to be honest with you, because I'm not a fantasy football player. Uh, but it should all be about wins uh, and, and losses. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, he's going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Uh, but, you know, I guess if I'm a Raider fan, uh, I'd take, obviously, the wins over the fantasy points. But Heidi made a really good point about, um, you know, the playbook and mm-hmm. the learning curve of, of learning it. It's a difficult offense to learn. Once you get it, you master it. But that can't be a reason that holds the Raiders back in any way, shape, or form. Uh, And that, to me, is on Josh McDaniels. If he even senses for a little bit uh, that there's a little bit of a struggle going on right there, he needs to do whatever he needs to do uh, to be able to put this team and this offense specifically um, in, in a right place in order to still succeed. Like, you can't, when you have this kind of talent, when you have Devontae Adams and Darren Waller and Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs and, and Hunter Renfro, figure out a way for that for that offense, um, you know, to, to be able to move the ball and, and, and score points. Don't let your playbook be what impedes them. Um, you'll get the playbook figured out as the season goes on, but especially early on, do enough to get this team rolling. As we will uh, continue this conversation with our good buddy, Jason Fitz, who joins us each uh, Tuesday at this time as he comes live out of Coney Island for one of the great spectacles in humanity, the July 4th annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Of course, we know Jason and love Jason as Raider Nation's Grammy winner, but my God, man, you were in the throes of one of the great spectacles in American sports. I'm not sure how you are faring this morning, but good morning and thank you for joining us. Can you tell us, Jason, what happened when somebody came up and tried to, like, uh, attack Joey Chestnut, and then Joey puts him in the chokehold, only to eventually win the hot dog contest? What was going on there? What were you seeing? I was in the middle of, of doing a little sideline report 
on the way one of the eaters was eating because it, it was different. He was taking two hot dogs and buns in one hand at one time and trying to house them that way. And moment was somebody get thrown to the side and the, and the cops were all over him holding him down. And I thought he'd come from a different direction. So I thought somebody was trying to charge Joey. I honestly didn't realize till after the broadcast because it is such a zoo and it's so tough to see everything that they'd actually gotten to Joey from the other side. So uh, we saw the replay afterwards, and I think we were all a little bit stunned because in the madness, 35,000 people on one street corner. It's just it's incredibly difficult to see everything. So, uh, you know, next year I'm going to have to find a different perch and, and maybe take some, you know, karate <laughs> sure. lessons or something. So I'm ready for somebody when they come up. But I will say Joey handled that better than I handled one of the contestants, uh, and, and his name actually escapes me at the moment, but he's a Vegas guy. And he was there, Steve. And uh, I, I can't think of his last name, but uh, it's the first time I ever thought an adult male I didn't know was going to vomit on me. Like, he was losing the battle, and they were starting to come back up. And I was like, it's going to happen. And there was nowhere I could move, y'all. I was like, this is going to be it. This is going to start one of those family guy chain reactions, and everybody's going to lose on national TV. Was was the the guy that rushed the uh, stage was like a protest? Did he, did he pro, was he protesting animal rights or things like that or whatever the hot dogs are Star quote Wars. unquote <laughs> Star Wars? Yeah. That's what do, do so, we know what the cause was? The cause was animal rights using a a Death Star an, an analogy about a pig farm that provides many of the pork uh, products that come into hot dogs apparently. Which wow. to me, like if you're going to protest in front of all these people, then do it in such a clear way that people know exactly what they're doing. Like, we shouldn't have to do, you know, sleuthing to figure out what your cause is if you finally get to Joey Chestnut. Yeah, I mean, just throw your website out there at least. Get some hits out of it. I don't know what to do. At least Joey Chestnut, you know, he's the pride of San Jose for me. Uh, San Jose, California's biggest nod to fame. Joey Chestnut. Uh, this is 15th and his 15th win. But here's the thing for me is I wonder about betting because, you know, there's betting on this, right? So, like, if the over was set at 70 hot dogs and then he takes, let's say, in 35 to seconds to a minute to deal with the protester and then he doesn't have that time, like, in soccer you get extra time, right? He didn't get the the extra time <laughs> so like I- i'm wondering now like you know what happened to the bets do you know anything about that yeah so some of the sports bets uh sportsbooks actually took it off the board and gave back all the money okay. uh wasted on it and you know i, I actually uh. wrote for the dot com uh for espn.com i wrote on friday to hammer the over because joey is particularly active by crowd and i thought with thirty five thousand people in front of him he would be incredible but i'll tell you honestly like for everybody that it was taken off the board from, got a little lucky. Uh, most of us didn't know until Friday night the full scope of his ankle injury. And as weird as that sounds, he bounces when he eats. Uh-huh. So every time he was bouncing, he was bouncing on an ankle that uh, was a compound fracture that then they put screws in and then they had to then two infections. Then he uh, ripped a tendon about a month ago. So, I mean, he was in an immense, like he was in a, you know, when you walk by that person and they've, they've got the cold sweats from the amount of pain they're in, that's what he looked like at 6 in the morning on the day of the contest. And I just kept looking at it thinking, my money's gone. 
So, you know, I, I, I think for a lot of us, we got lucky when they took it off the board. <laughs> Speaking with Jason Fitz, Raider Nation Grammy winner and ESPN host extraordinaire, hosted the Nathan's 4th of July hot dog eating contest in Coney Island. Hey, real quick, you, you brought Annabelle with you, your beautiful dog with you. How do you uh, keep a dog like uh, like centered and focused around the smell of hot dogs where she doesn't go absolutely uh, bananas and wants to run and attack people? Uh, you know what? I am very lucky that she's been traveling with me since I got her, and you know, at, at whatever, maybe six weeks old, uh, two months old. So from day one, she's been traveling with me, and that was during COVID. And one of those things that I, I really felt smart about at the time was, you know, making sure that she always knew to sit by my side and wait for acknowledgement before she'll uh, go up to anybody. Which is maybe a little skittish, but that's during COVID. I didn't want somebody to feel freaked out about my dog. So it turned out that she makes the best New York City dog you could ever imagine. I mean, mm-hmm. there was even typical New York. We're walking down the block, and there's a, a person there that's obviously homeless and probably going through a rough time that just starts yelling like a maniac two feet from her, and she's just trading trotting with her side pressed up against my leg. She's like, all right, don't mind that guy. We're just going to keep going until we can get a slice of pizza somewhere. So, yeah, she, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. Better to be lucky than good with the dogs and Annabelle. Uh, but, Annabelle handles it perfectly. By the way, Jason, when you were describing your observations of Joey Nut- Chestnut uh, early on the morning of the event, I was picturing a horse race better, checking out the barns before the <laughs> before the race, trying to get a read on the horse, where they are mentally and health-wise and everything like that. So I'm going to leave that right there um, and pivot. Uh, by the way, you're not wrong because the night before I, I took Annabelle for a walk, there was like a dog park I had to walk her to uh, to make sure she couldn't take care of her business before bed. And I saw one of the contestants, I won't, I won't rat her out, but one of the female contestants was out, uh, that, that it was like, I don't know, almost midnight, and was walking back to the hotel, looked like she had maybe two or three too many drinks, and uh, was, you know, slamming another cigarette. It was one of those sorts oh of nights. God. I immediately <laughs> looked at that, and I was like, yep, uh, hammer in the under on that contestant. Uh, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized I'm a degenerate at that point. That's all right. You're, you you, you got to do it. You have to do it. You're my kind of degenerate. Whatever it takes, Jason. Exactly. All right, so we're going to pivot uh, to, to the Raiders. We're going to have a discussion today, Jason, about, um, you know, Devontae Adams and Derek Carr. I'm sure you saw the Brett Favre comments about Devontae Adams' numbers potentially going down, moving on from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr. Colin Cowherd came out and backed up Derek Carr. Um, but but our premise today is, with Devontae Adams, does Derek Carr, uh, does he have the capability now of moving into that top 10 tier of quarterbacks? Whether you're talking about fantasy football or just regular winning games and being a great quarterback, uh, do you feel like Derek Carr now has the weapons to be able to be, to not just be considered a top Top ten quarterback, but literally play like one. Yeah, a thousand percent. And look, I, I think when you start talking about who Devontae is going to be in this offense, I, I think fantasy football owners are going to hate this offense, and that's a great thing for the Raiders, right? Because uh, through all of this, if you're Josh McDaniels, and I, I use this analogy all the time with offensive playmakers or, or play callers, uh, you're playing chess. You should know exactly who you have, and you should be able to beat anybody with the chess pieces you have on the board. So. You know, frankly, fantasy football owners might be disappointed with Devontae's production if they want 110 catches, you know, and, and 16 touchdowns. But when you've got Darren Waller and when you've got Hunter Renfro, uh, there, there should be sort of we're going to kill you with a thousand cuts, and that's going to be part of this offense. So will Derek Carr's numbers be epic? Yeah, absolutely. I, I genuinely believe they will be. Uh, will, De- will Devontae's numbers fall off a little bit? Yes, but I also, guys, I want to say this loudly about Brett Favre. 
You can be a legend as a football player, by the way, and, and nobody's going to take anything away from that legend. But that doesn't mean that we still need context when you comment on the game afterwards because I'll go back to previous players that I've talked to at ESPN and I'll ask them what they think of certain players now and the number of players that tell me, ah, I don't even watch football anymore. Like, how many games of Derek Carr's has Brett Favre watched? And we're also asking for Brett Favre, the quarterback that Mike Holmgren openly said didn't know what a nickel defense was <laughs> when he was starting in the NFL, to understand Josh McDaniel's offensive uh, uh, premise. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just absolutely wild to me. Brett Favre should be a homer for the Packers because that's part of what's in his blood. But he doesn't know a damn thing about the Raiders. Doesn't know a damn thing about Derek Carr. And that's okay. He can still be a Hall of Fame player. But, like, for him to come up and make any comparison of what the numbers could be, it, that's just that, that's a level of it. There are certain people you just chalk it up to, great, you made a soundbite. And that's what Brett Favre's doing. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, like, you know, with the Green Bay sentiments and all, just because he ended up with the Vikings. And, you know, if you're a Packer fan, you know, and really deep into it, do you do you still love him? I don't know. Right. But <laughs> it's, I'm sure that there's still that love there. But uh, like you mentioned, the numbers falling off with Devontae. And I think that he'll still be like a, a top 10 wide receiver. But I could see him easily dropping off about 300 yards in uh, receiving because he had 1,553 last year, so I'm thinking around 1,200. Where do you kind of project his numbers at? Yeah, I think 1,200 is actually a really nice. That's sort of the sweet spot, you know, because uh, I, I don't think it's an unfair projection to look at Renfro and Adams and both see them in that range, you know, between 11 and 1,200. And then I look at Waller, and depending on the opportunities in that offense, I think that he falls in somewhere between the 900 and yep. uh, 1,000 range, right? So if you think about all three of those together, and you know, the concept of top 10 wide receiver, top five wide receiver, I, I, Devontae is absolutely a top five wide receiver in the NFL. I don't think that's, that's any question. Mm-hmm. I also don't think that production is the metric that matters when it comes to figuring out who the top 10 wide receivers are. I think we, we as a general community focus on production because it's the easiest metric. But for me, it's always going to be how much responsibility when, when, when offensive or what, sorry, when defensive coordinators sit down and make their game plan. Who's the guy that's at the top of the page that they say, oh, my God, we have to account for? And Devontae's going to be that no matter what his numbers are. So I think 1,200 is, is probably pretty fair. The funny thing is I think Derek Carr is going to play like it and have the numbers of a top-five quarterback this year, absolutely. But also his job is going to be the easiest it's been since he had Coop and Crabtree, right? Yeah. And when he had Coop and Crabtree, he was an MVP caliber quarterback. I would argue that he has better weapons in this offense than he had in that offense than he's ever had before. I mean, if this offensive line can even keep him standing up for two seconds, there should be the opportunity to put up epic numbers for him. It's funny you say that about Derek Carr not having this kind of weaponry that he, you know, it's been so different for him, maybe not since 2016, but for McDaniels, when was the last time he's had this kind of, uh, also this talent around him, but at the same time, he doesn't have anyone to kind of like look over his shoulder to also make and double check all the work because McDaniels now is going to be alone at the top of this organization to call the plays and to make sure this offense runs the way he wanted it. And maybe that doesn't mean the kind of production we saw in New England has anything to do with what we might see in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's a fair point. And the other thing we have to remember is for the last several years, Josh McDaniels has had one job every single week. And that one job has been to live, eat, breathe everything the offense is going to do for the Patriots 
and how they'll beat somebody. I, I don't think that we necessarily put enough emphasis at times on the difference between being solely an offensive coordinator versus being a head coach when you have to basically turn around and put check, check marks next to everything that's happening. And right. those hours that you're spending working on the rest of the team are hours that you're not spending just sitting there consumed with offense. So, you know, there's a, I think for Josh McDaniels, he's never had chess pieces like this. He's never had these ingredients to cook with or hasn't had in a long time, I should say. You know, but if he, if he hasn't had these sorts of ingredients to cook with and now does, the question is, can he still spend as much time cooking and if he can't, does he have the, you know, sort of self-awareness to turn around and then get some help in the room? So those are going to be interesting things over the first three or four weeks that I think we're going to start to learn quickly because the, the, the real judgment of a play caller isn't what you do from 20 to 20. It's what you do in the red zone when your guys have to better execute and you have to make better play calling. That's where the Raiders have failed year in and year out. That's where, frankly, John Gruden's Raiders offense failed year in and year out. So that's where Josh McDaniels' offense has to succeed. You know, big plays will come when they come. Mm -hmm. But can you, when they know what you're going to do, do it better than anybody? And that, that's going to be a real judgment for this team. No doubt about it. And if you look at Josh McDaniels and his history, he's one helped or been part of division-winning championship teams with Tom Brady throwing 24 touchdown passes and Tom Brady throwing 50 touchdown passes. It's you're, You said it perfectly. What are the chess pieces? How do you go win a chess game with the pieces that you have to play with? Period, exclamation point. All the numbers, all that type of stuff takes a major backseat to just winning football games. But along those lines, uh, Jason, we talk about Derek Carr, we talk about Devontae Adams and the numbers of, of the wide receivers and the weapons. I want to go to Josh Jacobs and what he might be capable of doing uh, in this offense now that you have a bunch of weapons um, in, you know, around him that can stretch a field that opposing uh, defenses have to pay attention to. How much can that free up Josh Jacobs to do some damage? Well, I mean, Josh is going to face the least amount of com competition in front of him when he runs that he's seen in a long time because you, you just you can't stack anything and you know i would argue that the one of the things that we saw last year and uh, again every time we talk about henry ruggs we all acknowledge and rightfully so that this is far bigger than a football conversation so with the acknowledgement of the tragedy and everything that we've all talked about there's also again far separate from that a football conversation and you know i remember at the time mina kimes was texting me one sunday and we were just talking about sort of how difficult it was to figure out what to do to stop this offense when you had somebody that everybody had to account for speed-wise. I mean, that was just a big portion of it. But what we don't talk enough about is that when most of your offense is coming from five to seven yards in front of you from Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller, that also means that everybody that's in to help with the Hunter and Darren is there right at the line of scrimmage to help stop the running game. So it makes it tougher to find running opportunities. The biggest question I have for Josh Jacobs is, you know, you mentioned the, the greatness of being able to say, hey, this year you're throwing 24 touchdown passes. This year you're throwing 50. I think that also takes a huge buy-in from the locker room to the fact that some years your production might be huge, some years it might not be, but you're going to be competing for rings. For Josh, he's now got a stacked backfield that, that he's going to have to share carries with and he's not going to get as many carries, I think, as he's used to getting. So, you know, can he find comfort in that role and then also be willing to just accept that that's what's going to be asked of him in this offense, especially when there's contracts involved? That, that, that's a big ask from a humility standpoint and from a take-one-for-the-team standpoint. But if he does that uh, and if he's comfortable with it, uh, absolutely. Uh, this is an easier offense to thrive in because 
when you get to the line of scrimmage with the football in your hands, you're only facing, you know, five guys instead of 11 suddenly hitting you in the face. That'll make a huge difference. All right, so my last one for you is I have this vision of this offense working in 10-yard increments. I don't see it really being, as far as passes go, I don't see the ball being stretched downfield that often and frequently. Like, I'm not expecting 40-yard passes to come out of the gate that often. But, I mean, that being said, do you think that that is just kind of what we can expect from the Josh McDaniels offense? Or is it going to be completely different now that he's away from Emperor Palpatine slash Bill Belichick? Yeah, no, I think you're a thousand percent right. And one thing that's going to be really interesting in training camp is to see which fast wide receiver can take advantage of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I, I, I think you're, you're right when you say 10. A buddy of mine said not too long ago it's a 7 to 17. Yeah. And like that means that we're going to see a lot of yardage chunks like that. Well, that also means to me if everybody's clipping in at that spot, when you've got just that guy at training camp, the, the wide receiver position is going to be interesting because there's some depth there this year. We know that. There's some experience there this year. The question is, Who's the guy that when everybody pinches in to take care of 7 to 17, who's the guy that runs behind the defense and gets himself wide open? And that's going to be really interesting to see. I don't think there's going to be a ton of huge deep shots in this offense because that asks a lot of the offensive line. But when they come, they're going to be big opportunities. So, you know, if Carr can get the time and then be patient enough to let the route develop, I think there's an opportunity for somebody in this offense to step up and find themselves maybe only 20, 30 catches, but they're going to be, you know, eight of those 20 are going to be the ones we're still talking about after the season's over because they were huge touchdowns. It's fascinating work, Jason. Thank you again for coming on today. Uh, look, we've been watching the hot dog eating contest for almost 20 years on ESPN, but the last couple that you have been working on have been really special. You've made it your own, and uh, we're really grateful that you uh, found time for us the day after. Thanks again for doing it, Jason. Oh, I appreciate you guys every week, and I'm just going to start saying it every week. Like, y'all, accept it. This is the Super Bowl caliber team. Whether anybody else wants to talk about it or not, like, we're going to have a fun year together because we're talking about a Super Bowl contender. I'm just saying it. Agreed. Woo! Woo! Jason Fitz, I love it, man. Have a great morning. Have a great morning. I love it. I love it. This is great. And you know what? I, I love what he said there, too. Like, you know, I read it then, like... Which fast wide receiver will start taking the reins early in training mm-hmm. camp? Like, who could that be? Because that's also from, you know, in another perspective of fantasy and otherwise, but who would be that X factor that comes out that we're not totally thinking about? Who's that guy? Keelan Cole. Is that Keelan Cole? Yeah, that's Is- the one I put on paper. Yeah, when we were just uh, kind of talking about, I think Keelan could be. Over DeMarcus. And I don't know where the room is for Tyron Johnson, but he flashed a few times during OTAs and minicamp on some long balls. So, may you know, but where do you fit him on the roster? I mean, how many wider? You can't keep six, seven wide receivers. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But I think Keelan Cole, if you look at his history, and he has pl- hasn't played with good quarterbacks, for, you know, uh, and still been able to get it done, kind of reminds me a, a little bit of, um, you know, when um, – who was the Raider wide receiver that they got from uh, Philadelphia that came in um, a couple of years Nelson ago? Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, Nelson. Uh, a lot of people are like, why Nelson Aguilar? He's terrible. Well, he goes to a stable quarterback situation again, um, you know, after not having it so much in, in Philadelphia um, with the injuries to, uh, to Carson and all that type of stuff. And all of a sudden, 
He's all of a sudden a, a, a deep ball threat. Nobody saw yeah. that coming. Yeah, and Keelan Cole, for what it's worth, 4-3 on the 40. Four, yeah. 4-3-3. Four, three, three. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're looking for, like Jason Fitz was talking about, mm-hmm. somebody that can be speedy and take the top off, that's where I lean with him. I don't think Demarcus Robinson was in that same zone. I think he was more of a 4-5 kind of guy. Yeah, I think, and I think he'll have a role. Uh, yeah. Demarcus will, um, as will Matt Collins uh, as well. I think everybody's going to fit in. Those pieces are going to fit in. We've been talking about this uh, throughout the last couple of weeks. I don't think that third wide receiver has to be one person. I think you can committee it um, with the third wide receiver uh, based on what's going on situationally. And I, that's why I like what they did at that wide receiver position, being able to bring in three guys that have three different sort of skill sets and bodies and, and all this type of stuff so that you could take advantage wherever you on, are, are on the field uh, of, of any uh, each all, all three of those guys in, in different ways. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and go further on this with Eric Moody from ESPN Fantasy and ESPN Chalk, the host and analyst with the mothership. We'll go further into the numbers because he <laughs> tweeted out something that also created a lot of uh, fervor. And he tweeted how Devonta Adams and Derek Carr and how Adams could make Carr a top five quarterback, all that and more. It comes up next with Vinny, Heidi, and Clay on your Funk Tuesday. Welcome back to a Funk Tuesday on the morning tailgate. Till it. To the bridge with Vinny, Heidi, and Clay. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. You know, as we continue the conversation about, you know, as Colin Cowherd spoke about Derek Carr being a top 10 quarterback, uh, Brett Favre doesn't think, you know, Devonta Adams will be able to match his production that he had in Green Bay with the Raiders. Well, let's turn it over to Eric Moody, a host and analyst with ESPN, including ESPN Fantasy and ESPN Chuck. Loving all the work, Eric, at Eric and Moody on Twitter. Thank you for joining us. Good morning to you. All right. So we liked what you tweeted out, especially about how Devonta Adams and Derek Carr, but... How exactly does Carr uh, become a top five quarterback now with the addition of Devontae Adams? How do those two intrinsically make each other that much better? Yeah, and I'm really excited about this pairing. And, and I must admit, my head is still bobbing from the music leading into the segment, so I will stop sure. bobbing my head. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you, you look at Derek. He finished with 4,804 passing yards. Now, the only quarterbacks who finished with more were Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, Justin Herbert, and Tom Brady. So what makes Carr's 2021 season even more impressive is that he accomplished this, you know, with former head coach John Gruden resigning in October. You had Henry Ruggs, his off-the-field uh, issues. He was arrested in November. You got Darren Waller missing most of December, you know, with an injury. But I think the, I would say the event that will catapult Carr's statistical production is obviously the addition of Devontae Adams. Now, we all know that they were college teammates. That shouldn't be understated. Fresno State, mm-hmm. my Carr and Adams connected for 133 receptions from 2012 to 2013, over 3,000 yards, 39 touchdowns. And so it, it should not surprise anyone okay. if Carr and Adams don't get off to a fast start this season. And one area in particular where Adams could help Carr is in touchdown passes. And I'll kind of close on this. Now, Carr's only averaged 23.6 passing touchdowns per season over the last three. Since 2016, Adams has 69 receiving touchdowns, which ranks first in the league. You've got Josh McDaniels, new head coach, has a reputation of being one of the best offensive minds in the game. And when you pair Adams and the rest of the playmakers with Carr, you know, he's going to have all these playmakers at his disposal in Las Vegas. 
I believe he could throw for more than 5,000 yards and 30 or more touchdowns this season. So I'll pass it back to you. I think what Eric is saying is uh, Devontae Adams and Derek Carr are going to get funky uh, this year, um, without question. And, I, and yes. I'm right there with you, uh, Eric, and it's why I reached out uh, to you yesterday to see if you could come on the show today. Um, you know, you look at Matthew Stafford going from the Lions to the Rams. I think he went up from 26 touchdown passes to 40 last year. He hadn't cracked 30 since 2011. Why? I think because he's playing with better talent, a better play caller, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even Tom Brady in 2019 when he was playing with okay talent with the New England Patriots in terms of the weapons goes from 24 touchdown passes to 40 and then 43 uh, in 2021, 40 in 2020. Can we expect that kind of a leap forward? Maybe not exactly that that much, uh, but but can we expect a similar leap from Derek Carr? Yeah, I, I believe so. It's uh, I, it's tough to quantify since they haven't played together uh, in the NFL, but if you have rapport like with a wide receiver, especially in college, because their college careers are ultimately what propels them to the NFL, I just don't think that should be uh, understated. And they kind of behind the scenes have been waiting for this moment. That was like the catalyst for this trade, and so... I think we're going to see that kind of a leap. And you look at Carr's statistical body of work uh, before this season, I'm like, he's been criminally underrated in my opinion. So it can happen. So my question is, are we going to talk here? Are we having a pure discussion on ranking him fantasy-wise, or are we having a pure discussion on just ranking him where he comes in into the year as a ranking for a quarterback in the NFL, period, not fantasy? I, I want to get that clear before I ask you my question. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I believe it. I'm like, both are, you know, are correlated in a way. But I, I even think of you looking at his passing yards that he had last last year. Yeah, he's in a really good position to finish, you know, top six, like in passing yards this year. He could even be a dark horse candidate potentially to finish, you know, the number overall or number one overall passer. But in fantasy, that's kind of correlated, too, because he's in a position to be really a top 12 fantasy quarterback. So hopefully that helps with leading into your question. <laughs> right. It, it does somewhat it, because the, and what I'm looking at right now is just point disparities throughout the, the years of him being a top 10 fantasy quarterback, which in one league I play in, and I'll just give you a quick premise of this league. You don't get points for quarterbacks until they hit 300 yards passing and you don't get points for quarterbacks um, on touchdowns. Like every touchdown's a six pointer you get. It's based on length as well. So if, you have um, a plus 20 yards you get a plus three bonus if you have plus 40 yards it's a plus six bonus so it goes on as the the length is you know as you hit an 80 yard touchdown i think it comes out to 15 points for your quarterback um anyhow <laughs> that being said the point disparities between Carr and the leading quarterback in this particular league is is pretty wide it's like 458 to 170 in 2018 that was cars um uh yeah numbers was 170 and then in the last year he had uh 204 points to the 390 of the leading quarterback in the league so for him to make that jump we're talking about about 200 points leading to in like 20 touchdowns or so just rough math and i'm wondering if you think he can be a 43 touchdown kind of guy coming up in this year would you put his numbers and touchdowns over 40 yeah and that and that's and that's the big that's the big element is what the touchdown passes yeah so I, I like i like where you're going with that thanks for that breakdown and it, it it'll be difficult for him to reach and i'll be candid that 40 you know touchdown like number i kind of have him projected more so around 32 to 35 right 
Yeah, so it will be challenging. And plus, with your scoring in that league with, um, you know, the 300 or more passing yards, too, that's, that's, that's big. That's something big and, and important to factor in as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting stuff, yeah, because we want to see that leap too, Eric, and we're trying to figure out, uh, because it's starting to add up to us that we can see a lot of the weapons start to manage, uh, you know, a lot of like a foothold of where this projection could be, but there's also the element of Josh McDaniel's play calling, and is it play calling meaning better play calling, you know, in between the 20s or in the red zone, because that's where I want to see, like, the things turn for Derek Carr, especially if we think about him uh, you know, accepting this new role as, as being somebody that's going to be spreading it around to so many different guys but also uh being asked to like not have to do so much because a lot of that work is going to get done for him how do you feel like the mcdaniels uh you know uh, plays a part in like this new projection for Derek carr yeah i think it's i think it's really really important and now i know uh Derek carr is obviously not not tom brady but even with uh having a player like tom brady you know running an offense with brady under center i, I think it's a lot of takeaways that mcdaniels you know can can garner from that and so I think my big takeaway with McDaniels is that he's going to position uh, Derek Carr for success, you know, with the playmakers that he does have and build that scheme around what he's comfortable with and, and what he does well. You know, because he's a quarterback that he can win with, but I think when you have someone like Adams and you also have Hunter Renfro uh, mm-hmm. and these other additions that they have, he's going to be positioned for success. And so I don't think it's going to be a scenario for where he's going to try to cram his, his philosophy in my way or the highway, just given what's happened with him in the past, like in Denver, and we all know the story there. <laughs> sure. No, no, no doubt about it. Uh, Eric, when you talk about uh, outside of the quarterback uh, here with the Raiders, when you talk about Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and, and Hunter Renfro, uh, how easy or difficult is it going to be for fantasy players uh, to gauge um, and, and, and to ride those guys, knowing that because there's so much talent on this team, you got to figure that Derek Carr is going to spread the ball around and not necessarily have to feel like he has to force it to anybody. So numbers might be skewed as a result individually for the good of the collective. As a fantasy football player, how do you equate that and balance that? Yeah, another great question. Like from the fantasy lens, obviously Devontae Adams is going to be going to be the alpha. I think when you look at this offense, kind of based on uh, projections that I have, you, you really have three candidates who could exceed 100 or more targets. Devontae Adams is one, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller. When you add someone like Adams, he's going to command like a very high uh, target share. So he's someone that I can see projected out from anywhere from 135 to 140 targets. I'm like, I, I love where he's being drafted in fantasy drafts. You can get him towards the tail end of the first round or the top of the second, depending on the depth of the league. Okay. So he's someone that can exceed expectations. But where it gets a little sketchy, I would say, is where you got Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller. They're the ones who are obviously, their value gets cannibalized a little bit. But I will tell you, out of those two, I do prefer Hunter Renfro. He's mm. someone that's a very solid flex option in fantasy, someone that I think can exceed expectations. Uh, but I have him you know, projected for around uh, like 103 targets. And Darren Waller's not too far behind. But if I'm choosing between those two, given like their average draft position or ADP, I'm leaning towards Renfro because I feel like I can get another a tight end later in the double-digit rounds that could, uh, I guess that could mimic uh, Darren Waller's production. Oh, that's fun. I like this conversation. It's right in my wheelhouse. And part of the thing I wanted to break down with you, and it's something we've been kind of asking the guests that have come on throughout um, as we lead up to this season, 
Which of the skill players is going to lead in touchdowns? Which one do you see leading in yards, whether it's a running back or a wide receiver, just uh, total yards by a skill player? And uh, who's going to lead in receptions? Yeah, let me, I'll, I'll kind of isolate. Uh, looking like at total yards, like, and Devontae Adams, again, he's someone that, you know, I could see getting around like 1,100 to 1,200 yards. But someone I do believe that is being like undervalued in drafts, like is Josh Jacobs. Okay. I think he'll be more actively involved than what people think. You know, just given you know Kenyon Drake still there, you know, in the offseason, you know, additions that they that they've had. But he's someone uh, when you look at uh, Jacobs that I can see getting around like 1,100 yards, followed kind of closely behind like Devontae Adams. If you're looking at like uh, you said receptions as well, right? So yeah, make sure yeah. I hit on everything. Receptions, it's going to be Adam. You know, he's mm-hmm. someone that can easily hit around like a hundred uh, receptions. As far as I would say, total like total touchdowns, uh, and it's going to be close between Josh Jacobs and, and Adams. But okay. you look at Adams; he's someone around that ten to twelve range. I think that's a pretty good uh, kind of range of outcomes there. But uh, Josh Jacobs, he's someone that I could see getting double digit touchdowns as well. Uh, I think they'll use him, lean on him more, like in the uh, in the red zone. You know, getting right. those kind of rushing red zone attempts, uh, rushing attempts. Excuse me. And so he's someone I, I think can get like on the low end, double digits uh, touchdowns. Did I miss anything? I didn't know. You did perfect. Very well done. Yeah, I, I like this too. And it, it just like you know, what what's your overall year end projection for somebody like Darren Waller? You know, he, he's uh, he's somebody that you know we've seen the. Th- tight ends thrive in McDaniel's offense, but we've also seen Waller thrive, you know, in spite of everything else with the Raiders. How do you think this will translate for him to a big year? Yeah, the, the thing with Waller is just that he's, he's not going to be the alpha when it comes to targets. And that was something that, that benefited him greatly in mm-hmm. his breakout season. And he's someone, I, I believe, that'll deliver when you look at his average draft position. He's someone that has at the tight end position uh, top five upside, but you know, let, let's be let's be transparent. Everybody knows that the tight end landscape is as desolate as the uh, Mad Max wasteland in that film series. Again, I just rather go with someone a little bit later uh, that I think that could replicate that production. And just one name that comes to mind that I find myself drafting quite a bit is someone like Cole Komet. Uh, you know, he's like a dark horse candidate in my opinion to finish as like a top six uh, fantasy tight end. So my biggest issue with Waller is. Um, I just feel like at his ADP, you're you're drafting him at his ceiling, and I just rather prioritize someone else a little bit later. I guess that's probably okay. my pain point. Sure. <laughs> uh, all right, Eric. Uh, obviously, talking about uh, uh, fantasy numbers, and and you're brilliant in, in breaking it down, even for an idiot like myself. Um, but when we talk in practicality, um, moving from fantasy to the real world. Um, when you look at this offense, when you look at those numbers, when you look at those projections, and I know that the offensive line is going to come into play and the defense is going to come into play, uh, but realistically, how many wins do you see uh, for uh, this Raiders team's this Raider team, assuming everybody stays healthy, especially on that offensive side of the ball? Ooh, that's a, that's a, that's another uh, that's another good question. Um, I know I'm thinking about like with with Vegas. It's uh, I think the, the line the line opened up at like eight and a half. Uh-huh. I know they're they're a team that I felt like could go over. You know, just given the uh, the situation and looking like at their schedule, because they've got some very difficult matchups. I would say the win total. I would say nine or ten wins. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that wins for this team. 
That's a, it's a conservative. Oh, it's a conservative oh. number for especially for that division. Eight, you know, nine to ten wins because everyone else seems to be projected in and around that number of the four teams in the AFC West. It's hard to actually go and see like a clear front runner like pulling out of all this. All that considered. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. It, it's tough because that that's going to be a it's <laughs> going to be a high spine division, just given the the status of like the other teams, and it could be some games that'll 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 turn where it could go. It could be a positive turn or a negative turn, like very late in the game. And so, it, I think it'll be tough for them to exceed what they did last year, just given the upgrades in the division, especially in Denver with Russell Wilson. So. I love it. Eric Moody, writer, host, analyst with ESPN, including ESPN Fantasy, as well as ESPN Chalk. And you can follow him on Twitter at Eric N. Moody. Thank you again, Eric. Fascinating discussion, man. We really appreciate it. And uh, maybe as like we get past training camp and the numbers start getting pared down, it'd be great to have you on again to see maybe what the starting rosters might look like and how the projections may change or may have fluctuated. No, no, sounds good. Yeah, appreciate the uh, invite. Hey, it's been a pleasure chatting with everyone. Looking forward to the next time. Take care. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you. It's Eric Moody here with us on Raider Nation Radio. All right, so, you know, the McDaniels philosophy is one thing, but when you brought up like uh, Devontae Adams being the alpha, you know, and, and all three guys can maybe get 100 targets projection-wise, then could we find, like, career years out of all those receivers? And maybe Devontae, maybe getting, like, 1,100 yards, but with, like, you know, uh, 13 to 15 touchdowns, that's still, like, the same kind of production he would have been getting it with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, right? Uh, a little bit less because he's been, what, like a 1,500-yard, 1,600-yard guy or right around that, um, close to 1,600, 1,400 yards. So I don't know if he's going to get the, that. I don't know if he's going to hit the career numbers yeah. that he's that he's had. But that's not... To say that he's not going to have a huge impact either because uh, his presence is going to help guys like Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, right? So you can't well, – I think you you had brought it up earlier um, You uh, and Jason backed this up. You can't just look at the sheer numbers um, and, and put a value on the effectiveness and the impact of the game just on that. Right, and that's where it's hard to determine where do you rank somebody because as much as in my fantasy tiers, I might put Carr at 10. Does that change if, let's say, this is hypothetical, Jalen Hurts, right, mm-hmm. has a breakout season for the Eagles because a lot of these pundits are projecting that to happen. Why? I don't know. Where's Deshaun Watson in all of this? Does he True. get disciplined for an entire year and he's gone and then you don't know who, <laughs> you know who what's going to happen uh, with quarterback roulette in that case? Or is it that you know he comes in, he has a full-on what you would think prototypical Deshaun Watson season and like shows up in the top 10 of quarterback rankings, you know? So it's those things, those question marks, the X factors. That's why we love this sport. We love this sport because it's always when, no matter what we think, Half the time you have to throw it out with the bathwater in the yes. window by game eight. Well, and and what's so what's so interesting about it is you know talking to Eric and and you know projecting Derek Carr as a potential top five quarterback yet only having nine wins as a projection for the team. It shows you that this is obviously a team game. But at least from my perspective, I I, I don't see any way that Derek Carr has a top five quarterback season or even a top ten quarterback season, and the Raiders don't win ten or eleven games. I think 10 is a fair number, and the reason why is I do think this is going to be a very competitive AFC West, and I think that there's going to be a matter of a play here, a a game there, one defensive stop here that makes a big difference in those games. I don't think that there's going to be massive blowouts 
43-9. I don't think that's going to happen with the, the Raiders and the, and the Chiefs this year. Right. I don't. And well, that's a start. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah, and it's uh, we'll get more into this with Marcus Johnson from uh, Tape Don't Lie, as well as Silver and Black today. You know, and get his thoughts on like, you know, how does this start to translate into wins, but also how realistically are these projections? Well, I'll do all that more in the third hour. Yeah, and what's so interesting is you know you bring in Eric Moody, an expert on fantasy, uh, to get the lowdown on fantasy on things that maybe you're not as proficient as I certainly am not, and that's the same thing with the realty one group when you're buying or selling a home. I'm not a real estate agent. You're not a real estate agent. So why try to do it yourself or or just do it blindly? Go out and get the help that you need, especially in today's type of market where it's extremely hectic and volatile, really. Uh, the Realty One Group is there for you. They've been in Las Vegas for more than 11 years, making uh, life easier for uh, buyers, sellers, uh, other real estate professionals. Uh, they know the neighborhoods. They know the transactions. They know how to get this done. So whether you're buying or selling a home, please give the Realty One Group a, a call over at 888 888- Four six one zero one zero one. We all need a little bit of help uh, when it's an area that we're not as proficient uh, in. And certainly, the Realty One Group, if you're buying or you're selling, is the place to turn. Eight 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 four six one zero one zero one. Hey guys, it's your boy Vinny B from Raider Nation Radio in the huddle. Guys, I've been talking for months now about Tat, an affordable quality CBD cigarette. Well, good news, all Tat products are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas. That's right. Tat products, all of them, are now available at all Speedy Marts across Las Vegas.